In just a moment, we'll read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 14 through 24. And from that passage, there will be a number of things all of us will need to attend to. The church in Thessalonica was a vital, growing church with a young but heroic faith, a faith that continued in the face of considerable opposition and conflict. But for all of that, the struggle was not over. Paul writes to them and wants them to understand that in the future, they would be challenged again and again and temptation would not stop. When we are at our strongest, the devil may go after us with greater diligence. When we are at our strongest, the devil may go after us with greater diligence. Here, near the end of Paul's first epistle to them, we find a series of thoughtful admonitions which seem to call for courageous constancy. If it seems that way, once we get into the passage, that will be clear. That will be the emphasis of the text in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 24. Listen, please. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 24. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Several things that demand our attention. And when you take all of these admonitions as they are collected together on this page, there is a courageous constancy that ought to develop in us and can be maintained through us, no matter the opposition, so long as we continue the activity of our faith in Christ. These admonitions collected together in this passage become the content of the sermon tonight. Be patient with everyone. The English Standard Version says be patient with all. The 14th verse of 1 Thessalonians 5 exhorts us in regard to a variety of duties 
that we have toward one another in a variety of circumstances, but in the execution of these duties, there is a love and patience that is necessary for everyone toward all. If you have the New King James, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. So, my response to my brethren who are unruly or idle, as it says in some versions, is given here. I am to warn them or admonish them. Not gossip, not insult, not sharp, blunt remarks. That isn't designed to help. Warn, admonish. We can see in our Bibles that's what it says on this page. There's nothing in the context that gives me the right to just dismiss this or to allege that somebody else can do that. When it comes to my attention to someone who is unruly or idle, a brother or sister, unruly or idle, the obligation is assigned and written here. Warn, admonish. If someone is faint-hearted, what is the response instructed by the Holy Spirit? It says, comfort the faint-hearted. Do we ever do this? In the English Standard Version, encourage the faint of heart. If the New Testament is really our guide, this is what we do. If we're governed by the will of God, as written by the apostles, we take this seriously. Admonish the disorderly, encourage or comfort the faint-hearted, and then it says, support or uphold the weak. I'm not to look down on my weaker brother. I'm not to engage in ridicule toward him. I'm not to make my weaker brother an object of humor or disdain. I am to help. I am to support. I am to uphold and strengthen the weaker brother. And I am to do all these things in the passage in an attitude of patience. Here's the older word that you may not see in any magazine or social media today. Long-suffering. It's the opposite of being short-tempered. Long-suffering. It is a unique word in biblical language that you do not find today. The word describes a virtue of patience toward others. Even when others are not doing as we would expect. A steady spirit of seeking the good of others even when they fall or stumble more than once. You do not join them in their weakness. You do not approve of their unfaithful behavior, their neglect. But you struggle with them you exercise patience toward them. You work with them and seek to influence them because you love them and you're devoted to the glory of God knowing that He loves them. This is part of the constancy, the steadfastness, and the strength 
of a Christian. We warn those who are unruly, we comfort the faint-hearted, we uphold the weak brother, and we do all of that with patience. This patience is illustrated by God who is long-suffering toward us. And this patience is not only written here in Galatians 5, it is a product of the Spirit of God working through the Word in us. Patient. Be patient with everyone. Follow what is good. Always seek to do good. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. What do we face in the culture and world that we live in today? Mindless gang violence, trafficking, corrupt and immoral officials and leaders, the public applauding of perversion, people in the entertainment world boasting of their shame. Add to this the free flow of alcohol and the abuse of drugs and the breakup of marriages and in some cases the apathy of people who ought to be active against all of that. Sometimes we go through a fatigue about all this. Sometimes in a world filled with so much wrong, there is the distinct temptation to take matters into our own hands, to try and fix everybody and fix everything. But as a Christian, I must learn to always pursue what is good and never give way to revenge. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Rejoice always, verse 16. Let's be honest here. I think sometimes we read these statements in the Bible here and in Philippians and we just don't think it is within our reach to rejoice always. Sometimes pretty easy to rejoice. Sometimes it's hard. A man whose wife has cancer. Parents struggling to save their children from the arms of Satan. People trying to be Christians who seem to be hindered and distracted all the time by financial problems and disease and injustice and misfortune. And yet, we come to these passages and they tell us to rejoice. And we may think this kind of optimism just isn't realistic. And there is a part of the human heart that cries out almost in the manner of an argument. Don't tell me to rejoice. You know what I'm going through? Is it possible to rejoice in what I'm going through? And sometimes the argument may reach this level. Give me an example of somebody with this kind of joy, rejoicing always. And be sure you pick out somebody going through at least the same amount of trouble and pain that I have. Well, Bible students know that that challenge can be met in Jesus and in Paul. 
and in most every faithful disciple in the first century who went through trials and troubles we've never known. They went through very bad times. They knew pain. They knew misery. They were acquainted with adversity and persecution and poverty. Jesus, in his prayer in the garden before his death, talked to God about the joy he had. And he wanted his men to have that joy. John 17, 13. Paul was in jail and on one occasion was beaten and left for dead and he's the one who said in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now the force of all these examples is it can be done. Joy in the New Testament is not tied to circumstances. Joy, happiness in the world, is connected to circumstances. I've mentioned to you many times before the word happiness or happy has in it that word happening. So if things are happening that are good, easy to rejoice. But if things are happening that are bad, it's hard to get hold of this biblical admonition to rejoice. But in the New Testament, rejoicing is not tied to circumstances. It's tied to the Lord and our relationship with Him and our day-to-day -day choices to continue that relationship. This kind of joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It is far deeper than ordinary human happiness and it remains constant through adversity. This joy can cause us, like Paul and Silas, to sing in a prison cell, to bear persecution for his name's sake, and even praise God as death approaches. This is the joy we can have. It exhibits our courageous constancy in the Lord. Pray continually without ceasing. Again, I think there may be a typical human reaction to this, same as toward joy. I have many things to do, preacher. I have a job. I get tired. The kids have school. All these activities pray without ceasing. But listen to Jesus in Luke 18, 1. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 12, continue steadfastly in prayer. In Philippians 4 and verse 6, he said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These passages show us that fervent, continual prayer should be woven into the fabric of everyday life. This means don't ever miss an opportunity to pray. This means make time, take time to pray. Do you think Jesus was busy? Well, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know something of his activities, his schedule, and surely we all acknowledge the load of responsibility he took upon himself. Jesus was busy. He sometimes, however, went out alone to a place 
to pray. And in Luke chapter 6 it says, He continued all night in prayer to God. Have you ever done that? He continued all night in prayer to God. There were times when the Lord took some disciples with him and would go up to a mountain to pray and he would pray and these guys would fall asleep. If prayer was that important to him, how important should it be to me, to you? Don't ever give up on prayer. Give thanks to God in every circumstance. Here's something so simple. One of the first things we teach our children is to say thank you. Please and thank you. We want to hear our children use those words. It seems to me a lot of them forget those words as they go along in life. But maybe there are adults also who have forgotten to say thank you to God. You know how little attention is given to gratitude? Go into a large religious bookstore or a huge warehouse of religious books even, and you will find books on every situation, every attitude, every topic, every doctrine, every issue you could imagine from birth to death and beyond. But you may not find anything on gratitude. Is giving thanks so simple that we find it easy to neglect it? There is so much to learn in the Bible about giving thanks to God. And here's how serious it is. In Romans chapter 1, Paul describes the movement of pagan Gentiles deeper and deeper into sin. And as he documents their gradual decline into all manner of depravity and destructive behavior, in Romans 1.21 says, Not being thankful. And if you read the sequence in Romans 1, that was step number 2. Not honoring God, not thanking God, and it led to all of that departure from God and that plunge into immorality and idolatry. Gratitude is not just a formal courtesy. Thank you. It is an essential virtue for God's people. Put everything to the test. That's part of the courageous constancy in this passage we're looking at. Let me read 19, 20, and 21. 19, 20, and 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. I believe all of this has to do with our respect for the Word of God. We're not going to just believe everything that people say. We're going to test everything. Consider the gospel message was given by the Holy Spirit. And it says here, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, and then it says, test everything and hold fast to what is good. We ought not to take that lightly. I want to put it this way and make it very practical. 
Every sermon we hear, regardless of the speaker, every Bible class we sit through, regardless of the teacher, every article or book we read on spiritual subjects, regardless of the writer, everything we see, regardless of the participants, everything must be tested and it must be tested here in order to ensure that we are following God. In 3 John verse 11, John said, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. I've got two more from the passage. Courageous constancy means avoiding every kind of evil. Maybe there's some kinds of evil that you find easy to avoid. Maybe there's no tendency in you at all to engage in violence or murder or any form of, uh, of, of that sort. But this says avoid every kind of evil. Evil that may not be outward, it may just be here. The New American Standard Bible in New King James says abstain from every form of evil. That's abstinence. We often find ourselves in deep spiritual and moral trouble because we try to get just as close as we can to sinful influence without actually participating. We play games and flirt with temptation and sin and deceive ourselves into thinking that we can get close as long as we don't cross that line we've drawn. We need to let God draw the lines. Don't even get close. The alcoholic who's trying to stay sober cannot hang out in a bar. The person having trouble with sexual temptation cannot play around with pornography on the internet. In a similar fashion, Christians who are cleansed sinners trying to stay clean need to stay, uh, stay away from certain places and situations and relationships. You cannot play these dangerous and foolish games. Get up every day and repeat this resolution. I will abstain from evil. Therefore, I'll be free to do good and glorify God. And then trust God. 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Some days in living the Christian life, what you really have to directly hang on to is the promises of God to his people. There may be no immediate visible victory. There may be various forms of pain and disappointment. With Job, we may wonder why bad things are happening. Some days, what we have to directly get hold of is the promises of God. It says here, he promises to sanctify, preserve, and perfect, and bring to pass great things 
for his people. He who calls you is faithful and he will also do it. Listen again to our text. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. If serving God were like a hundred yard dash, maybe most of us would be fine. I can do a hundred yards. We would be fine. It's more like a marathon. Marathon runners may not look all that attractive as they hurt and sweat and try to keep going through the long haul but that's what they have to do keep going God promises to train us through his word Jesus promises to lead us through that same standard so that we can endure to the end let's be standing as we sing <laughs>